get in the cart. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast. And welcome into the Party of Four podcast. I'm Ben Hutchison alongside Andy Michelson, Director of Golf. Hey, how you doing? And we have another special guest on this episode. Pro Emeritus, who is it, Andy? Dan Phillips. Is this your first time or second time? Second time, right? A podcast? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did that little memorial thing for... Oh, that's right. That's Jim right. That one time was great. Yeah. That's right. Going over some things. Yeah. Jim's going to be a big topic today as well. But first, Dan, you're here. We got you in the seat. Pro Emeritus. What does that mean? Because people have seen you here for decades. I, I think really what it means is that... Uh, I've had just about every title here at one point <laughs> and I couldn't really figure out which other, you know, what was last, you know, to figure out how to, you know, the exit point and getting out. And it's like, Hey, I've seen this one before. But so, it, uh, yeah, there's like 28 classifications yeah. in the PGA program. So I just That's wanted right. to check all the boxes mm-hmm. on his way out. <laughs> I was actually, tw- I was actually, tw- when I was director of marketing, I was actually 28 at that point on the, uh, on the scale of uh, a 28 or something. I think it was, no chance to have any other <laughs> title doing anything. Here you are. You're still a pro. Still a pro at the end of the day. Still yeah. a pro. Still a pro. So what have you been up to? Oh, man, life is great. Um, just teaching a little bit, okay, which is great. I mean, you still have the some students that uh, are blessed enough that they want to see me, which is fun. Uh, so I do that on uh, mostly Wednesdays. Uh, when I'm home, um, 30 years of 30 plus years or whatever it is of things that I haven't done, um, I'm starting to do from, I did, uh, you know, I pulled a toilet, put a new toilet in at the house, uh, you know, <laughs> things, great things like that. Faucets. Um, I bought a lawnmower yesterday. So I, I, I sound pretty much like your typical retired guy, you know, is a riding lawnmower though. No, not yet. Okay. Um, I tried to talk the wife into it. She said, uh, uh, by the time you need to completely ride, we'll go and have somebody do it for you. So which <laughs> oh, is very man. nice of her. Yeah. What was the first day of retirement where you, um, forgot what day it is? Is that pretty, pretty early <laughs> on? Like, oh shoot. Is this Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? I can't remember. <laughs> the problem is, you know, by the time you're in retirement, you're pretty much forgetting everything anyway. So forgetting what day it is is pretty common <laughs> or, or worse. Trying to remember what you did the day before. So That's fair. That's fair. So this week was a ton of fun. We had the McQuethy cup out here and do you want to give a little background on that, Dan? McGrathy Cup started with a surprise birthday party for Jim. Uh, his friends were just starting to take over, and his friends wanted to do something special. I think they wanted to do something special for him at the golf course, and they wanted to do something special for him for his 60th birthday. So we put this whole thing together. I mean, his, Jim's friends are some pretty amazing people. Uh, they really loved him. They... Um, they love playing jokes on him and that, which kind of came over to us with us doing it too. They got us involved in it and the, and their little pranks and things with him. And then we started our own and he was a, a gracious guy who uh, 
who really enjoyed it. I mean, he did. He had uh, he had fun with this stuff. You know, where other people, I think, uh, you know, might have had a problem with some of the pranks and stuff. He didn't. Uh, he enjoyed every moment of it. What, so, was, what was the what was the hole in one story with the car? Oh, you tell that one. It was great. <laughs> well, Jim was a uh, was kind of a car collector. Mm-hmm. Um, not like crazy, super expensive stuff, but just stuff that he liked. I mean, and and one of the cars that he, I mean, he had a Cobra. You know, on those Cobras. Hey, it wasn't he, collecting uh, Chevy Cavaliers. No, no, no. <laughs> Porsche guy. No, but you know he. he what he had a remember his uh, pickup truck or whatever the oh, SUV yeah. yep. that he was so proud of. Once he had like two hundred fifty thousand miles on the engine, he's like, "Guess what, guys? I put a new engine in it." An old like, garbage Tahoe. Things just beat. So he was that kind of guy too, but. Um, we talked him into putting one of his favorite cars up for a hole in one <laughs> on the uh went on fourteen. And you know, we, we hey Jim, hole in ones, million to one shot, nobody's ever gonna win this thing, blah blah blah. <laughs> so he was up on the tee and we set it up with his friends that they were gonna drop a one of the groups is going to drop a ball in a hole. Like the group ahead of yes. us. Yeah. And he was gonna he was on a tee, he came up, they dropped it in. Well, the guys hit it, hit it in the lake, you know, and everybody's going, oh, that looks good. That could be in, could be in. Went down there in the hole. The ball's in the hole. <laughs> and he just, it, it, it was really interesting. He's like, well, yeah. It's like total panic, know, right? Oh, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> he didn't know a thing. So we rode it out for a little while longer and then finally told him that, yeah, Jim, it's still your car. You're, you're not giving it away to one of your best friends who just made a hole in one on on a 14th hole. <laughs> That's Jeez. the kind of stuff we did to him, you know, and. and I think it's know, cool that he loved it. Yeah, yeah cool. he loved it. Yeah. I'd heard while we're telling the stories before we get into this year's McQuethy Cup, there was some sort of pro event with him and something about bunkers I'd heard oh about. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was, that was the worst. So. <laughs> we're pl- we're playing up at Shore Acres, and we we got it going. I mean, we're we're kind of in the hunt, but it was a it was a true alternate shot. Which, when you're playing in a pro president event, like why in the heck would you ever have the format be an alternate shot? So, anyway, you know, Jim pipes one one of his best drives of the day. We're playing 16 at Shore Acres, straightaway par four, straightest par four on the golf course. Hits it right down the middle, and. I got 125 yards left, bread and butter. You know, this is auto inside 10 feet all day long. I yanked the hell out of a pitching wedge. And we go in one of the deepest bunkers on the golf course, which is left to the green of 16. And I'm a foot and a half from the face of this thing, and it's it's eight feet in front of us. I'm like, God dang, there's no chance. Just don't hit it back in your own footprint, Jim. <laughs> so Jim fats it. Like, it's closer to the wall, so I've got literally zero chance. I get into the wall, comes back, bada-bing, bada-boom. Long story short, we make a, a 10 or 11 <laughs> on this thing. And we just we were just kind of quiet about, you know, the whole thing because, like, we were kind of bummed because we were out of it. Because the year before, I think we got second. We almost won the thing. So we get in, and it's nice, like, you know, short acres. You have to, like, wear a jacket to dinner and all this stuff. And it was it was funny because his a different side that I've never seen before. He was 
razzing me the whole time and telling everybody how his pro can't hit a green from 120 yards and his pro can't get it out of a bunker three different times because all we were doing was hitting it closer and closer and closer to the face to the point where we were like, all right, fine. We just got to kind of hit it out sideways and, and made her 10 or 11. But it was just, it was so much fun. We had, we had such a great time in that event. I look forward to that every year playing with him. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of years of us giving it to him. We finally found yeah. somebody to give it back. To. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I deserve it. Yeah. I should probably hit a green for 120 yeah. yards. Well, fortunately, you've improved since then, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's happy about that. So we did have a new format for the McQuethy Cup this year, and we incorporated a charity side of it as well. So let's go into that. It's PJ Hope. This is a little background on that and then how much we were going to be able to raise, which is even better. This is Carrie Williams from the Illinois PGA. PGA Hope stands for Helping Our Patriots Everywhere, and it is a way that we introduce the game of golf via our PGA professionals to veterans um, to enhance their physical, emotional, and social well-being. It's not just about the golf, though. It's about the community. It's a way that veterans can engage in a free activity where they come together in unity and share stories and life experiences. It's a reason for them to leave the house. Some days it's a reason for them to get out of bed. And we are so proud that our PGA professionals, who are the experts in the business and game of golf, have taken on the veteran community. And through your help today, through your participation today, a gift's going to be given to PGA Hope in the Illinois PGA Foundation, and we will be able to continue to enhance the lives of veterans through the games of go- through the game of golf and our PGA professionals. So we're thrilled to be a part of this day. Mr. McWethy was a wonderful man who had a major impact on golf in Illinois. We're pleased to be celebrating him, and we're pleased to be carrying on his legacy through your gifts to PGA Hope. With everyone playing golf, uh, the diners, uh, the donations, and uh, the whole sponsors, um, we are at about $13,000. But that's not it. Our family um, is, has agreed to uh, match that number, so we're actually going to be more like $26,000. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So that was really cool. That was Todd McQuethy, Jim's son, at the end there. $26,000, and that goes towards an awesome cause. Golfers out here, everyone had a great time. And, Dan, you even played in it. Yeah, I did. It was uh, – it's fun because you get a chance. And over over the years I've played in, well, I guess it's 18, 19 of them at this point. Um, I've really got to know a lot of Jim's friends, you know, playing with them and – They've been gracious to us too. I mean, we we got a chance to play shy golf with uh, mm-hmm. because well, Jim and his friends that were he had some friends or members there, and they invited us out there or the Dunes Club or something. Um, it was wonderful, and they have a charity like that. Uh, that's all about Jim. You know, he was uh, two things that he really loved. He loved golf, and um, he loved America. I mean, he did. He was he was a patriot kind of guy, and military doing something like that helping out veterans that's that's right up his alley yeah when we when we sat down with the with the family and this was even back in 2020 we're like what what's going to be kind of the next step for mcguethy cup because you know jim passed in june of 2020 and and we're actually thinking about you know unfortunately covid was in the way but like what can we do to to kind of continue that legacy of mcguethy cup and um, you know, it, it took a little while for us to, 
kind of figure out what the right right move was. And it's it's really kind of just more of a, a tournament in his honor. Still has some of his friends from the past, but you know, more or less people wanna um wanna get behind the same things that, that we believed in, that Jim believed in. And for this first year especially, um it seemed it seemed to make the most sense to align with something that was, you know, very, very much, you know, the same things that, that Jim cared about and Jim believed in, which is you know, PGA Hope helping our veterans um, basically cope after they they come home. You know, basically it's it's giving it's giving free golf to veterans in its most basic form. But you don't know what that you know. Think about kind of even, and I hate to equate the two, but think of in twenty twenty when we were going through COVID. What was the one thing that early on people gravitated to? They gravitated gravitated to golf yeah. because that that's one of those things that really kind of puts your mind at ease and, and gives you something to focus on. So. Um, yeah, it's great to uh, to align with that charity, and and um, couldn't be happier to uh, be aligned just as a PGA member with the whole thing. And his daughter Gretchen, along with Todd, they were both out on hole nine just talking with everyone. So I caught up with them then and did quick little interviews. So let's see what they had to say about the event. This day is incredibly special for our family. Um, as as many know, our father passed away in June of twenty twenty. Um, and McWethy Cup was an event that he hosted each year, which was probably his favorite day of the year. Um, and now that he's not with us, this is you know the least we could do to honor him each year and just come out and gather friends and have fun um, and celebrate him and his legacy. Oh, he would love it. Um, I, I, you know, the McWethy Cup stressed him out a lot. It was a love-hate relationship, um, I think, but that had more to do with the planning of it. Uh, he, uh, he would stress out for, for weeks uh, before the event. Um, a lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, foursomes, who to put together and things like that. Um, uh, but, you know, ultimately it was like probably one of his favorite days of the year. Um, and uh, so I think, I think he'd be thrilled that we've, we've continued it and hopefully we do it for years to come. It was so great just being around them and seeing the smiles and the appreciation from other people for the event and for Jim and yesterday would have been his 79th birthday. So we've been thinking about him a lot. Right. Yeah. And this, this event too, will open up some avenues that we've wanted to pursue as a property, as a staff, as you know, things we've talked about, um, you know, some things that are being brought up, brought on the table are, are things like, you know, having scholarship programs for the, for the kids that, that work for us. You know, Dan's talked about that. Yeah. Dan Phillips talked about that for forever. Um, and, uh, we're going to try and do some really special things that Jim cared about on top of um, trying to support the organizations that we support from the year before. So really kind of spreading the, uh, spreading the wealth for lack of a better, um, better word. Uh, we're, we're going to try and do our, our best to, to make sure that that legacy lives on in this event. And I, I actually think it could become a two day event. I, I, I think mm-hmm. after this year and, and how, <clears throat> how much people really got behind it, not knowing what it was at all. Uh, and then seeing what it what it was and what it became, I think it it could be a good opportunity for hey let's let's close for a couple of days and really really blow this thing out. Yeah, whatever works, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're here to support it, and I enjoyed the heck out of the day, and it was it was fun seeing some familiar faces in recent years that have come to the event, and then obviously some new people out this year. And like you said, I think there's a there's no ceiling on the event. Absolutely not. Perfect. You know what. I'd like to backtrack just a little bit. Um, people got to be listening to us and have listened to us for years about Jim, 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 like he's some kind of, I don't know, deity or something like that. 
Jim was a very, very special man. Um, I've been here for, gosh, since 98, since the place opened. And I watched, it, it was a great concept. The golf course was wonderful. But money-wise and things, it just wasn't, it wasn't happening. And we're running into problems. And it ended up that Jim took over the course and took over the entire property. And we, I mean, it was a beautiful day for all of us, you know, and just somebody, okay, here's some, here's a glimmer of hope. Here's a glimmer of hope of something that we think is, is kind of special. And the, the man that he was, he decided to build something that was just amazing and put himself totally into it. Now, I don't know if you can imagine um, whatever you do for work and then have somebody come in and go, listen, think of everything you'd ever want to make your workplace special, to make it as good or better than anywhere else in the world. And I'm going to do that for you. And you look at that as a somebody making a place for you that you're going to spend, I mean, work, you spend your time at work. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you spend most of your day, most of your life at work when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. To have somebody make something that special for you to, to that environment for not only you as a worker, but for the people around it, you know, the people who want to come out and play and that, and anybody who had the, you know, the chance to know him, he, he did this in a, a very selfless way. You know, there's no, in a way, there was no reason for him to do this other than he wanted to. He wanted to make something special for everyone. And it wasn't, it wasn't an ego thing for him. He just, he wanted to say, hey, I'm going to make the perfect playground for all of you. <laughs> and now we're like little kids playing in the playground. So when we talk about Jim and, and the ways that we talk about Jim, it's, it's just being grateful for who he was as a man, who he was as a friend, and the legacy and what he built for all of us is just amazing. And if you're a worker and there's someone, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you're working somewhere, it's like, boy, a private plane would be great for all of us. You know, it's like Jim is the kind of guy going, well, is it going to work? Does it going to happen? Could it make it better? Is it going to make it better for everyone? Okay, let's do it. You know, and he made it special for everyone. Yeah, it, it, and it'll be a legacy piece going forward, and that's that's really what it what it's what it's all about. I mean, it's it's such an amazing, just interesting place that that really intrigues people when they walk in the grounds. It's like a true reflection of uh, you know what, what he was all about. It's just yeah, I, I it's funny showing people, you know, I'm getting that experience now, um, you know, showing new members around for the, for the first time, the first time that they're really kind of getting that, that, you know, all encompassing tour and right. showing them all the little intricacies and stuff like why we did, why, why we did what we did, why we, why you guys did what you did uh, back when designing some of these things. It's just like, it just blows people away. The, the not only the level of detail, but care and, and passion put in the, in the whole place. And it's, it's going to be a, lasting legacy to him for forever yeah i mean as a teacher you know when we we went to him it's like you know like how do you make the place better we're like you know we kind of it'd be really neat to have like a teaching facility here you know maybe we'll put up like a, a shed or something and then we can do this keep us a little bit out of the elements and 
by the time we were done, by the time he put his magic on top of it, I mean, you've got the performance center. The first of its kind. Yeah. Yeah, the first of its kind. Nothing like it. you got a bar in there and food. It's amazing. People from courses all over take a look at that and try and copy it. Yeah. And that was just an idea of, hey. Just to think how much our pros are pampered in that performance center blows my mind. I see top 100 instructors teaching on just a line of people. These guys are pampered. Why do you think I think that's what Dan's saying. Yeah, he said it's so hard to leave, you know. You want to retire, but you can't leave, you know. Hotel California. Actually, a small world type story is I had my friend out here, Liz. She actually gave me my first job in television. This was her family's homestead mm. before Mistwood. Get out of here. So her grandma's house was where maintenance is. And then her cousin's house was right over here. So she came here for lunch this week. She's come out here with her cousin a couple times and just sat there and looked over. And she's a huge historian. Like, she loves history. I love history. So for her to see it, I'm sure there's the family memories of, hey, I used to play over here and and bittersweet of stuff like that. But she has what I gather was a true appreciation for everything that was done. She said back in the day when, you know, deals were being done or houses were for sale and everything like that. Everyone associated with the situation was very respectful to the family and her grandma and everything like that. And I think, you know, that's where Jim would have really come through um, as far as being an investor and everything else and, and caring for what he was moving towards. So that was really cool to have her out here. And then this year moving to the farm and the bees and everything surrounding the golf course itself is she was just astounded by, you know, using the land that her family had for more than even golf. Right. That's being a cool. beautiful golf course, being beautiful facility and appreciating that. She's like, you guys are taking it further and it's really cool to see all these things going on. So that was kind of fun this week, yeah. especially on such a poignant week of mm-hmm. Jim's birthday and right. the McQuethy cup. So that was cool. Well, let's move on. Cause I want, this is where I love and I have enjoyed with the other pros is the pros kind of getting into each other's heads about teaching and approaches and things like that. I know we have some members that, love hearing this stuff. So for you, Dan Phillips, I'll just open up with where do you start when someone comes up and says they want to get better at golf? And then you guys can kind of dabble from there as well. (laughs) How do you approach that? You know, the first thing is when I'm evaluating or or talking to uh, somebody new to golf, I kind of find out, I want to know where they want, where they're going with this. You know, what do you want to do? Because then it kind of gives me an idea of, one, how much, how much you may want to change things in that. I mean, if you want to be, you go from a 30 handicap to a single-digit golfer, I mean, we've got some work to do. I mean, I, I, I'll never tell anybody they can't do it. I never. I, I will not. Um, but I will tell them the road, and you're going to have to work hard at it. So I take a look at that and see what they want to do that way and get them a program that they're going to enjoy. You know, and if I'm given a lesson, uh, the last thing I want to do is make this feel like work for someone um, when they're doing it and uh, when they're practicing. You know, give them some fun things to do. I give them things to do at home to work on because nobody has, you know, day after day hitting golf balls. I mean, you, you work for a living, so you got a chance to play golf. So those are the things that I look at. And um, again, I want to keep it fun. But I want to make sure that when they're leaving that day, that 
they can see something. They can see a glimmer of hope. They see something that's going on. They've hit some shots that they've never hit in their life, you know, or um, a little more of an understanding of what's going on. Because more of, um, it's not as much usually talent when it comes down to somebody better. I mean, it, talent does make a difference. There's no doubt about it. And athletic ability, things like that. But with the golf swing, a lot of times it's just a poor understanding of what they actually need to do. So you get them on the right track. This is this is where you need to head. This is where you need to go, and then things start to enlighten a little bit. Because you, know, you got to get you got to you got to break through YouTube. You know that all those lessons that they've yeah. the YouTube <laughs> lessons that they've taken completely destroyed themselves. <laughs> um, you know the bad advice from their friends because uh, there is some horrible advice out there. Um, one of my favorites is there's a video. Of this little kid, he had to be like two, two and a half or something. He's got this little plastic club, and he's in his, um, like, he's show him in the living room, and his dad's there. And this kid makes this beautiful golf swing. I mean, it is gorgeous. And you're looking in awe, and all of a sudden you hear the father say, well, son, make sure you keep your head down. And the kid makes the most awful swing you've ever seen in your life. Oh, Took every ounce of talent and everything yeah. out of the kid just from the horrible saying of keep your head down and how it just kind of destroyed him when this kid could have been, you know. So it's like uh, my job, our job, is to erase all that bad stuff that people are throwing in their heads. No, this kind of feeds into what I would say your role has been the last few years and and can continue to be uh, in the position you are. You're, you're so good at the thing that I, I think the new instructors don't do enough of. And I saw you do it once and it blew my mind. And it was like, this woman was new to golf. She, I think she was coming for a lesson with you and you guys like didn't hit a shot in the first half hour. So like, it, it was just amazing to me. You, you went through each and every club and what they do and their purpose in her bag totally made sense she literally got a set of clubs from her husband probably she had never played golf before and she's coming to dan which would be one of the most intimidating things you would think for a woman just starting to play golf this was probably six seven years ago i remember watching this and you went through the whole bag and you guys didn't hit a shot and i'm like there's not a new teacher in the last 10 years that would have done that like we all you're you're one of the best at taking like the per person on the journey, right? Like, and making sure. And I see it at the dome, like when people would come and you'd have your chair, and then you you made sure that a chair was next to you, because then when people you'd have them hit a few shots, come back, and you guys are talking through things on video and things like that. So you take the the person through the journey, I think, extremely well. Where the the mistake that that new teachers I think fall into and really need to, you know look to guys like you on is everyone is trying to like, okay, here's the keys of the car. I want to go 500 miles an hour in the left lane. Like, let's just go and try and get better that way. Like that's never how you get better at anything. No. Right. No. And so like as instructors, we're like trying to jam four or five things down somebody's throat in the first half hour. It's like, you don't get better at anything or any other sport doing it that way. You have to take them take them on the journey. And that's where it's like the flip side. You have to educate the customer that way too. Cause the customer thinks, well, I can watch YouTube for 10 minutes. I'll get better. You know, I'll, and that's how my, my approach should be. I should, I should get better in 10 minutes. And it's just, that's not how it is. It's not how it is. 
and, and just kind of expand on that if you would. Yeah, it's you know it, it's watching football or stuff, any kind of sport. I had a thing, and I'm not the uh, tallest guy in the world. I mean, I played a little football in high school, and I played all the sports. But you know, deep in your in your mind, you're going, you know what? I could play a little defensive back. You know, I I was fast and all that stuff. And then one day, Bo Jackson gets on the range, and I see the man, and I go, Oh my God! I would have died. <laughs> he would have killed me. He would have walked over me just like he did in everybody else in the NFL. I couldn't have tackled him. His thighs were as big as my waist. And I'm going, no. And and the same thing was when people watch golf on TV. It's like, man, these it's an NBA All Star game out there. I mean, it's like a slam dunk contest for these people. Um, they're that good. And to compare yourself to them, you know, because, and it's different. You don't have Bo Jackson tackling you in the middle of your drive, you know, but to try and try and be that right away is, is pretty much impossible. And when people start the game, and here it is, it's it, like I tell people, it's the only game that we've ever played that they just hand you the implements and say, hey, go out there and do it. Yeah. When you were a little kid, little league or something, it's like, uh, you know, you get a coach going, okay, this is first base. This is second base. If you're a second baseman, you're standing here, you're shortstop here, blah, 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 blah. You know, and that, and in golf, it's like here, it's like you're handing an entire game, a bag of stuff to people and go here, go play it. And the intimidation factor is amazing. That's why people, I think just right away kind of give up golf and a lot of ladies, especially it's, you know, they're going out there going, Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Everybody's going to watch me. And then trying to explain it to them that, you know, when you're on the first tee and you're hitting a shot, do you care what anybody else is doing? Well, no. Well, it's the same for all of us. Pro or not, yeah. we're, we're worried about what we're going to do. We're worried about my drive is going to do. I'm not worried about yours. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny you, you bring that point up because now you're kind of blending more into coaching than teaching. And, and we, we focus too much on the golf side on the teaching, right? right? This needs to be here. This needs to be here. This needs to do this. This needs to do that. Um, remember hearing, uh, one of the best, uh, junior instructors out there, at least right now. And he was, uh, doing something for like the junior Olympics and, uh, cause uh, golf was a new junior Olympic sport. And he had these other coaches from these other sports come up to him and say, I just don't get golf. I don't understand why you guys are trying to teach them, teach them their own abilities. Like, let them kind of do it and coach them from there on all of the things that are going to happen when they're in that element. And I was thinking about that yesterday with my uh, daughter. So she has a great ability to play golf. She's, she's very good at what she does from a golf standpoint. She hits it like somebody that would shoot 85. She puts it like if you handed a six-year-old the putter for the first time and said, here's a ball and there's a hole and go try and putt to it. Now, the reason that she was that way, and I didn't think about this, was I've been too worried about some of the teaching aspects, right, of trying to get her swing look right and, and everything else. But my daughter's 12. This is her fourth tournament, two of which have been her state tournament. Do you think there's nerves? Do you think oh, there's excitement? Geez. Do you think there's anxiety? What should I have done from a from a coach or teacher standpoint was – Talk about how she's going to feel. She's going to feel nervous. How do you process those nerves? The way you process those nerves is make sure you're deliberate in what you do. Each time you're going to hit a putt, 
just look from behind it, swing the putter twice, step up to it, and hit it. Just do the same thing each time so it feels more normal to you and you're not as nervous and as anxious. She gets up to, first, <laughs> she gets up to one of her first greens, hits it in there 20 feet, and <laughs> it's a 20-foot putt right in front of her. She hits it about nine feet right because she walked up to the putt, put her putter down, didn't look at the hole once, and just swung it, right? She was nervous. She's excited. Uh, like, right. like that's where, like, I think us as teachers, we got to stop thinking as teachers. And, and, like, there's so many assets. I'm learning so much. You're still learning about golf. Oh, I'm still learning about golf. Like, there's so much to coach people on instead of just teach them here to here to here to here to here. And, you know, I get kind of miffed or or, or upset with, like, when I have – High school kids that, okay, great, you sh- can shoot 75. That's awesome. You still need to listen to me. Right. You, st- you still, uh-huh. I've been there a thousand times if you've been there once. You've been there 10,000 times if I've been there a thousand times. <laughs> like, there is, you are always learning and you're always learning new things. The special kids that we've had come out of our programs are the kids that are the most inquisitive, are the kids that are looking to take advice. I tell a story all the time. It was like 2014, 2015. I can remember in the Dome, um, Brendan O'Reilly, one of the better players, right, from the state of Illinois, just he he would come hang out just to talk golf. Not hit a ball, nothing. I didn't really know him that well. He goes, Andy, I just know you're a good player, and I just want to talk and pick your brain. He, like, did that for, like, two weeks. We'd just come, like, late at night at the Dome. We'd sit and talk golf. I mean, those are those are special types of, types of players, but there's so many – just more aspects of this game that people just don't understand. Like, like you're saying, stop watching YouTube because they're they're coaching or they're teaching something that's for a specific player, and it's usually geared towards a tour player. And you're a right. twenty, and right. you need to start in a much different spot than that. I remember walking years ago. I was done. Uh, was working at a, a range. I was walking down the line as I did. I'd go and mm-hmm. talk to everyone and. Uh, Everybody told me something they're working on. I'm like, I'm doing this. And then I was, I couldn't really say much, but you know, I'm like, oh, and in back of my head, I'm going, yeah, well, good luck with that. You know, you just, yeah. you got no chance doing that. And there's one person I walked by and he goes, I go, what are you working on? He goes, well, I saw this article, so and so, so and so, Golf Digest. I go, let me see. He takes a swing. I'm going, you know, you're the first one ever to pick out the perfect lesson for yourself and something like that. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep going. Don't, don't change a thing. Yeah. But that was like one out of 20, you know, or, or 50 or a hundred. I know, mean, so. the, every tour guy's got, got their own coach, right? Sure. There's a reason for that. You know, they're looking for that extra little edge and they need somebody, they need a sound. Sometimes it's as simple as you need a sounding board. Right. You need somebody to talk to. I've, I've had drive by lessons with you. Hundreds of them over the years. I call them drive-bys. It's like five-minute lessons. It really should be called oil changes. And then it's just like, hey, look at this. This feels weird. or like, And it could be that looks great, or it could be that's not at all what you're doing. Like, You do need that, that, that person behind you to, to tell you what, what's, what's right or wrong. And, and um, I don't know. I got kind of off track there. But, no, no, you're but right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's just totally – there's so many aspects of this game that, that not enough – not enough people understand, even even though you can shoot a score, like you want to sustain the, both the fun of this game and just your long-term enjoyment, you, you need somebody to, you, you need a teacher, you need a coach. 
Yeah, you do. And and the thing is, too, is if there was a, anybody who's a teacher or coach who's listening to this, that one of the biggest things I could recommend to anyone is to every once in a while pick up something new. Pick up a new hobby. Pick up a new sport. You will really <laughs> get an appreciation for what your students are going through. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to go play the, you know, I'm thinking about playing the guitar. You take a couple lessons and here you okay, well, you know, what, what, what am I going to sound like, uh, you know, Van Halen here? You know, when is Eddie Van Halen to come out of this guitar? You know, you start to realize. <laughs> you just inspired me. I think I'm going to take the leap. I wanted, to, I wanted to try. I wanted to try getting into tennis a little bit more, just because like that the, that movement's good for golf. Sure. And like, but you're right. Like somebody just starting out fresh. I would. It'd be interesting to see like where they would start me. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't just put you on a jugs machine and just go. All right. Whack, whack, whack. Just, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Start, yeah. just start hammering balls and being very ultra critical of my technique, I wouldn't think. Well, but that's what we do. Well, that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's true. It's like the, the problem, I mean, in, in golf is sometimes how we teach is, okay, it's like the first time somebody playing tennis, you just throw them the ball and they hit it and they hit it and they hit it and they hit it. You tell them nothing about, okay, well, you've got to hit it over the net or you've got to hit it in this square or not out of these squares. You're just having them hit it. Yeah. And you have at that point you have no appreciation for the yeah. game or what okay i'm hitting this but why am i hitting yeah a, a junior usually the 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 two groups that i notice like that conceptually that we we should spend more time with too and and they 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 kind of show the inconsistency of golf very clearly is with junior and women juniors and women what do they try and do they try and initially they try and lift the ball off the yes. ground which makes all of the sense yes. in the world, yes. right? I have this thing that is not pointed straight at the target. It's pointed up, and I have this ball on the ground, and this thing that makes it go up should go up with the golf ball. And we're trying to, you know, we usually spend, what, two minutes, three minutes talking about the dynamics of if you hit down and it, it goes up. Like, that should absolutely make somebody's mind explode. Or we just kind of brush over. Yeah, hit down on it more. It actually spins more and it goes, gets up in the air, but, like, <laughs> that's the whole thing. It's like we need to spend more time and and from the student side of things, they need to be patient as well in understanding where we're trying to get to. And and um, you know, people like you we need to spend more time with and and making sure that we uh uh do it do it the right way, teach the right way cuz cuz right now it, it does seem like that every lesson that that especially young instructors are giving is like, all right, I need this 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 done in a half hour and it's not, it's not going to work. Uh, you got to play to your, it, when you're teaching, you got to play to your audience. Sure. You know, I mean, like giving you a lesson that I would give to a first time, somebody picking up a club would be absolutely worthless to you. Yeah. But giving that person first time picking up a club, the lesson I would give to you would be absolutely worthless to this person. But we're, before we even start a lesson between you and I, we're 99% on the same page. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We know exactly where both, yeah. where this conversation is probably going to go. And we're both on the same page. Right. You know, and that's, you can't expect it from a student when they're just walking off the street. Yeah. It's, you're right about certain things like a, just explaining to someone that a divot is in front of the ball. I, I remember every time I t- give that lesson, you know, it's golf ball, then divot. I can remember the day when that day, the time who I was with when somebody told me that. Yeah. 40, 50 years, whatever it's been, how many years ago that's been. And I could still remember, I could still see it in my mind right now because it blew my mind away that much. It was like, it was complete new, it changed golf for me. Yeah. 
you know, and, and then, but we sometimes just quickly go over it. But sometimes you got to realize that, you know, the one thing you say may, may change the golf for somebody forever. Yeah. And, you know, the, like the momentums of the golf swing, the momentums of the golf swing actually take you away from your target. When you swing, a, right. when you swing something back, I mean, you're basically swinging a light hammer backwards, right? To get it to go forward. And we're trying to tell people, oh, go forward, get, get towards your target. You need to get towards your target. Well, you know, we need to do a better job of telling them, telling them better how, to, not only how to do it, but like what, how we should, how you should feel getting back that way. Cause you have a thing that's on the ground that initially in your head, you're going to try and hit behind. Right. And you're going to try and lift it off the surface. So your body's wanting to go backwards in order to do that. The thing that you're swinging, the momentum is making everything go backwards, but yet we're telling them to do everything in the opposite direction. This game is hard as hell, man. It, it's counterintuitive. <laughs> it is hard as hell. It's, and, and this, if you look in golf, um, what, 90% of the people slice a golf ball, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. You've know, never taken less or anything. They hit it, they slice, they hit, they slice, they hit, they slice it. What's well, your, what's, what would be kind of your, let's, let's jump over to that. What would be your number one slice fix? Well, my number one slice fix is to tell somebody stop trying to hit it straight. Hmm. The minute I, 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 and explain how, and that's why everybody slices because they're trying to hit a golf ball straight. They're hmm. taking it kind of like a straight back thing, trying to take it, that club straight through, like aim it through to the target and have that face feel like it's square to that target the entire time. Mm-hmm. When, if if you show them, like I use a, a lot with a, a tennis racket, things like that, and you explain to them, okay, here, if I get the face going that way, it's like taking a tennis racket and opening up the face as you're coming Oh, my gosh, can we drop that sounder? Dan's got a great lesson from, like, 1906. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this tennis racket. Yeah. It's an awesome it's yeah. an awesome lesson, but yeah. keep explaining it. Plus, I looked younger and better back then, too. It was a wooden tennis racket. Yeah, it was too. <laughs> wooden. Scared enough, I remember that. I played with wooden clubs. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's it's trying to have that club go completely straight back and straight through to the target is really the killer. Um, the golf swing works in an arc. So in the best way yep. you can describe it. The golf swing works in an arc. The, the toe of the club. Yep. has to point toward your target and it points toward your target way earlier than you think it does yeah. way earlier almost instantaneously in your downswing the toe of the club is going toward the target um well just in the downswing to through swing if you take all aspects out of it and we only talk about the degree change in club head from here from from waist high Basically, hip high in your right, let's say right-hand golfer, hip high in your right hip to hip high in your left hip, that club rotates 180 degrees. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a couple of different ways you look at it. Um, but if, if the simplest of all that is just working that toe of the club, mm-hmm. just understanding how that toe of the club is going to that target, how you do it, you know, I mean, some people play with a little more close face. Some people have to, you know, they open the Once you open the face, you got to close it. You've got to. So if you're less opening and closing, there's less you have to do. Um, if you keep it a little more closed or modern day square is basically what we call it. It's a lot easier to do as far as, as getting through and getting that toe there. And again, feeling the arc. The golf ball only cares about two things. It cares about path 
path of the club and face of the club. That's it. Mm. That's all we teach when it comes down to it is trying to get you with a decent path and a decent face. Yep. All the rest is like, you know, just trying to find ways to make it easier for you to do those two things. Yeah. And if you want to prove that to yourself, you can, uh, you know, if you feel like your, your golf swing is, is relatively good, you could turn the club face 15 degrees shut, make a golf swing and the ball should start left. Right. If you were to open it 15 degrees, make the same golf swing, you know, with like a relatively, you know, lower loft, like a five iron, the ball's going to start right. The law, laws of ball flight, number one, wherever the club face is pointed, that's where the ball's going to start. Right. Path is influential on the, on the, the flight, like the total flight of, of where that's going to go. But number one, that, if that club face is square. And the only way to make that square, because it swings on an arc, is that that club face does need to rotate and it needs to rotate shut coming through. Yeah. You can't what, just hang open. Definitely what feels like shut. Yes. Definitely what feels like shut. So yeah, the best advice I can give anybody who slices it is stop trying to hit it straight. And um, if you're looking to find out what club face is, take a tennis racket and cause it's the biggest thing you can, as far as face, face is face. I mean, when it comes down to if you work with a tennis racket a little bit and see, I mean, how you would cut a tennis ball or how you would, the golf swing is a little more of a top hand in tennis or ping pong, table tennis, racquetball, whatever. It's a little more of a top hand spin shot if you want to hit draw and hit it more powerful. If you want to hit it weak and a little more right, then you can, you can um, open a face up more. But you've got to be someone like Frank here. You know, to me, you know, a guy, like a tour pro boy, and everybody's like, well, tour pros, man, they cut it and everything, and it's really nice. They hit that little f- slice and everything else. They're cutting like, it from a, from a closed, like like a club face that they're closing from path. Like, they're, they're, they're still square. Oh, definitely. And the thing is, too, is all of them, I mean, if I can hit a drive 350 yards... Yeah. And I cut it and hit a 325. Yeah. I can live with that. I'll take that all day. Yeah. yeah. But if you're a your average golfer and you hit it, you know, maybe 225, and then you cut it and you hit it 190 with the driver, you're going to want. You're going to want more. Gladys and Dustin Johnson are not going to rotate at the same speed no. coming through. So, you know, Dustin Johnson rotates, and that's how he gets his path out in front of him. Right. But his, I mean... Basically, his belt buckles point at the target while his hands are still back in impact. Go, go ahead and try that at home, and it's yeah. in slow motion, and you'll basically fall on the ground. So, right, you, you, you just can't can't equate the two. Um, next question: worst lesson, worst lesson, or worst thing that you've taught over the years for a for a, a period of time that was completely wrong. Now that you look back on it, oh, wow. Oh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, Here, I'll steal one. Should I go, go ball, ahead. Ball way back in the stance when you're chipping, type of thing. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. what else? That's what I was told. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> you're right. That's probably I would say, I would say, crazily enough, the short game is probably the biggest change that we've made in in, in the golf swing and how we do it using more of the. Uh, um, you know, having the face a little bit different. Um, uh, excuse me, the 
Uh, the bounce. Uh, yeah, bounce. Bounce yeah. the club. Yeah, great. Yeah. I've only done done this for my whole life and can't figure out a word. <laughs> but yeah, you have the grooves on the face. That's, that's really changed. <laughs> yes. There's grooves there. And things. There's a grip and a shaft. Two things that have changed. Short game and how we hit a driver has changed from back in the day if for you really old people who uh, use persimmon drivers back in the day. I mean, that's completely <laughs> changed. And I am, to a to a man, I would say that hitting the old persimmon three woods is a heck of a lot easier than hitting today's three wood off the ground. I would oh, off a totally tee. agree with that. Holy cow, I would totally agree with that. I'm just old enough to actually have had a persimmon three wood. I would totally agree with that. I never even thought about that. But those things would spin right away. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. would get, like, up in the air, and you could actually, like, like spin them a little bit. They'd be a touch shorter. Oh, definitely. But you could spin them, though. Well, today's drivers are basically little mini, or today's three-woods are mini drivers. Yeah. You know, they're, I'm a, honestly, I don't, unless you're a really, really good player, trying to hit a three-wood off the ground is, like, it's. I'm, Difficult. I'm hitting like a weak forward type yes. loft, and I'm hitting it longer than I ever have with a fairway wood, which is, it, it's like counterintuitive. But back in the day, to your point, um, I remember seeing a. I think we, both of us, uh, both of us saw this presentation, this TrackMan presentation, where the guy talked about um, the in 1990 when they're all hitting wood heads, the average launch angle is like seven degrees. This ball's spinning at like 4,000 RPMs, and that's how guys kept it in the fairway. Right. And now they launch it 14, 15 degrees, half the spin rate. And, like, that's kind of just how it's changed. Now, obviously, it's going to change forever that way. It's not going to go back to, oh, we should, you know, hype it up and spin it. But then, you know, we went to the other extreme where it's too low spinning and you can't control the golf ball. And so now you got to be, like, kind of in that in, in that sweet spot. But it's just it's so crazy how that stuff changes. Well, look, at, look at tour pros. How many, yeah. how many of them are carrying three wits anymore? They're all four or five woods, things like that. They're mm -hmm. not many carrying three woods anymore. If they're throwing the three wood in, it's because they're going to hit it off the tee, you know. And then when I'm giving someone a lesson, you know, and they come up to me, boy, I'm having really, really having trouble hitting my three wood. I'm like, yeah, well, welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah get I mean, a five wood. <laughs> yeah. First thing I do is take your three wood, put it back in your bag. Let's get the five wood out. Let's get a hybrid out. Let's get something yeah. that we can easy, more easily get up in the air. Um, that's huge. And then the, the persimmon uh, driver, I mean, it was, you know, you never hit that thing high in a face. Um, you always try to hit it lower on the face. Yeah. And then when we start yeah, so you pop it up. It was yes. 200 cc's. Yes. yes. Yeah, you'd pop it up. And then all of a sudden we started getting these, you know, the, I'm talking like new stuff. You know, it's been <laughs> off for 40 years. But and now all of a sudden we're along. trying to hit it higher <laughs> on the face. Yeah. You know, and it's it, so the first time I picked up, um, really started working with the, uh, you know, the metal drivers. And especially now. I mean, in the beginning it was, a, you could still hit them low on the face. Yep. Now you hit them low on the face and it's like you, you might as well hit your putter. I mean, it's going to go nowhere. I've got an old burner tour spoon, which was like the first metal, um, fairway wood that taylor made had i can get i can sky that thing i can get yeah. that thing up yeah. in the air because the same kind of dynamics of the old uh fairway woods now it's just everything is so low spinning and to be honest it's <sighs> you, you get it but all this stuff is basically built for tour pros i mean it is you're it, totally right and and we're trying to sell it to people that you know this is the best thing for you and then they're changing their swing i'm trying you know, trying to hit up on drivers and things like that, which only about 2% or 3% of the people can actually do it correctly. 
most people that try and hit up on a driver are just going to hit this high right balloon shot or just pull the yep. snot out of it, you know. And it, it, so another advice I can give to, to anyone out there, stop trying to hit your driver high. Um, just make your normal swing with it. Yes, the driver swing is a little bit different, but if you're trying to hang back and hit it high, you're going to hit some awful drives. Yeah. You still got to get through it. You still got to get to your front side. And most people try and when they try and hit it high, they hang back and it's well, pretty. Because again, they're seeing tour, they're seeing tour guys, and they're not, they're they're not interpreting what they're seeing right. The tour guys are still getting their front side. Oh, they're definitely. they're rotating yes. while they're getting to their front side, and and so people think, oh well, I see them hanging back. They're not hanging back in their downswing. They're they're getting left. Their pressure's getting left, and they're just rotating. So it's just. Comp- Completely different. Poor Ben here is um, looking at us. He's going, flagging he's us. Going, he's what do you going, want? He's going. Uh, what do you want, Ben? See, sometimes you got to be careful what you yeah, ask you just, for. As far as right. two pros talking about the golf swing, <laughs> you put lighter fluid on a pile of sticks <laughs> and threw a match on and said, "Hey, could this go out in about five minutes?" I couldn't have asked for anything better between you guys. I just had a very specific <laughs> question. I've had a couple. Okay, fine. I've had a couple lessons with Dan, and it's helped because I was a guy who never really took lessons. I played baseball, I was an athlete, I played multiple sports, I did all that. So, as a general rule of thumb, how do you set up for your drive? Where are your feet at? Where's the ball at in your stance? How far away is the ball from you? Is there a general rule of thumb you can follow? Obviously, depending on height and everything like that. Can I stop for like one second? Because that's a perfect example right there. Would, Would a new pro go through all of those things to explain it to you? But that's a question. You've been playing golf now for twenty years, right? Yeah, and that's a that's a question. Very off and on, but right? Yeah. But, it, but but that's a question. at It's most basic level that us as pros, because we're at a certain level, assume at when you walk in that you should know that. Anyway, proceed. Go ahead. Right. Oh, no, it's. I I'd say most people. Well, it's either they play too far back or too far forward. Uh, you've got to keep it somewhere inside of your shoulders. Okay, a lot of people go by their their left foot or left ankle. I'd like to tell people that um, about left armpit, if you're a right-handed player, is about where you'd want to have it. Go more with your body because you can always, you can do some crazy stuff with your feet and spread them way apart and different things like that. So if you're going inside, um, inside of your, uh, like your armpit right there is perfect for the driver. Now, uh, that that also helps like, too. Can I can I interject too? Because when you when you line it line it up on your armpit too, and you're putting the the driver down, that's a really good impact position too with drivers. Is having that feeling of that straight left arm kind of impact wise. So having it kind of more go off the feeling of where it's at in the left armpit. That that also makes it a lot easier. Or right for, for me impact. because I'm the forgotten left-handed golfer. Right. 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 So exactly. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Armpits work cuz yeah. both sides. Unfortunately, have we have one on each yeah, side. You have one on the <laughs> side too. So <laughs> then how far away from the ball do you rest your club somewhere? You want the driver you want all clubs you're basically if your arms are hanging directly from your shoulders and you have some good Bend at the waist. I mean, not a ton, but some bend at the waist. Um, that's your proper position, and that will put you, if you do that, the length of the club will dictate then how far you away from the ball. You're always in the same posture. So the club's a little bit longer. Doesn't change. Now, the driver is the one that you can be a little bit more 
arms a little more up. Um, it's a it's a longer club, so if you're not directly dead hanging from your from your shoulders, a little bit more forward is not a little more up is is not necessarily a bad thing. And remember, before you got lessons, Ben, right? You were you were a big kind of back straight knee bender guy. Yeah, and now you're more straight straight legged and doing it the proper way and bending at the waist. I'm still not hitting it where I need to consistently <laughs> enough, but okay. we'll attribute that to practice, but you're absolutely right. Like yeah. I was just swinging. I was like, my feet were flying up. Like I was moving my feet a lot. So yeah, lots of things work. I'm due for another lesson. Yeah. Well, actually, but, I mean, you actually have a lot of talent and you actually, when you do connect with the ball, you hit it really well. Can now, is this going to make the cut? It's going to be cut out. This is going to be very much. I might move this up to the front of the podcast. All right, but uh, yeah, your your practice habits are a little bit uh, weak. Yes, (laughs) no, a hundred percent. We talk about it all the time, Dan. How do I how do I lower the strokes? You know, it's like practice your short game. Practice your short game. Yeah, that's where you're going to make the biggest difference. Your swing, like you said, you're fighting your whole life to get your swing in the right place. You're still fighting it. You're still working on it every single time you're out. I just need to get to a place personally where I'm more consistent. But like you said, that's practice. And that's probably the best advice for any golfer of any level. And practice, like I said, I give homework, um, you know, as far as posture. I'll have people do things in the mirror at home. And I'll give them some stuff that they could do at home, you know, swing in a golf club. Again, I don't expect people to come out and hit golf balls every day. It's it's impossible. But if you take 10 or 15 minutes in the backyard swinging a golf club, you can improve. You really will, as long as you're practicing what you should be doing. Do you, want, do you want the worst example in the world? Sure. Think if you showered once a month, how methodical you'd be about that shower versus you shower every day, right? Yeah. And how thoughtless it, the shower becomes. Put a club in your hand every day. Take swings every day. Do something every day yeah. with a golf club. Right. And that's what I'm trying to instill on like my kids right now. Do something every day with whatever sport you're going to want to just keep playing do something every day, five minutes. Yes. Five minutes. Just do yes. something every day. Have, have have a club in your hand every day, and you will get better at it. Yeah, if you're going to practice at actually, home. Actually, I think the shower thing is actually yeah. pretty good. That's a pretty it's good analogy. example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to practice at home, please don't swing at a golf club for a half hour in the backyard or an hour or something. You're just going to get sloppy and everything else. You're better off. You're better off actually taking five or ten minutes doing it and then go do something else and maybe in the evening do another five or ten minutes, you know. Much better learning that way than trying to just, you know. I see I see people on a range, too. I mean, by their 15th bucket of balls, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, you're having somebody run a 50-yard dash. How many of those in a row can you do before you're going to start being really bad at it? You know? Yeah. You're going to get tired. You're going to get sloppy. Did, did you go to that seminar with me? I brought it up in the last podcast. Did you go to that seminar with me with uh, Sasha McKenzie where he was talking about the effort it takes to hit a driver? Mm. So he said it takes the same effort to hit a driver as it is from statically standing, bending down, and lifting a 60-pound weight to your waist. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. So, like, think how many times you're just pumping oh. drivers at the driving range. Oh. Like, wait. Like, wait 30 seconds. Wait a minute. Like each and every swing. I'm good for, if I was going to practice a driver in a day, I'm good for maybe 10 Mm -hmm. good, hard, full swings with the driver, and then I'm done. That's all I got. I mean, if I want to practice a little impact position or something like that and take three-quarter swings, a little bit different. But actually going after it, maybe 10. Well, I am 62 now, so that makes it a little different. I'm not 18. But even then. 
You know, it's you're just going to get sloppy. You're going to get lazy. You're going to get sloppy, and it's going to get horrible. San Diego Zoo only runs the cheetah once a day. I mean, he's a cheetah, so <laughs> ten swings pretty good. Well, and if you're out there grinding for three hours, you're swinging after three hours. That's true. Yeah. No, don't work him too hard. Don't work the cheetah too hard. Only reach his max speed once. So, but if you're grinding for three hours, your swing at the end of three hours is going to be way different than it oh was three hours ago. Oh, and yeah. like you said, you're just getting sloppy. Yeah. Your swing was probably good 20 minutes into it because you're warmed up, you're ready to go. But yeah, it's probably just bad habits forming. Well, this is where, this is where we, we come back to our original point. You have to have a teacher. You have to have a coach that gives you a roadmap of what to do because if you get caught up in watching what other people are doing, and I, I've talked about this before. I, I had that when I was playing mini tours. Like I would watch what other guys are doing, and I'm not an eight-hour practice guy. I may hit a few balls, process what I'm trying to process, and I'm better at I'm much better at resting than I am practicing. So, but that was that's that's good for me. And so, like, don't don't get wrapped up in what other people are doing, what other people are saying. Find your guy, get your advice from your one guy, and that's that's gonna kind of be your plan going forward. Yeah. Very cool. I enjoyed that part. Let's finish up the show. Yeah. We would be just crazy to not talk about the fact that the live golf tour is right in our backyard, literally in Dan Phillips backyard. Like he just peeks over the fence and he looks yard for an extra 20 bucks. So out there at rich harvest farms, there was more than five people going to watch it. Yeah, I could use my, <laughs> I, use I, I could use my backyard to park some cars. And there. I asked him. I said, "Hey, have you noticed anything out there in the area? And have you noticed anything?" No, I've. There's just a sign that's uh, on the exit ramp that says "Live Golf Thing," but other than that, I haven't seen anything. Now, to be honest, I'm maybe a mile and a half, two miles away from the golf course, so. You know, I'm not there right on the golf course seeing things, and I'm sure there's things that are happening. See some more traffic or something. I mean, uh, it's golf, yet. but Maybe louder, and you haven't heard it. <laughs> yeah, like, no, it's you uh, haven't heard it. No. How many? You, you said there's a concert going on there. I mean, there's a couple. Jason, he wants Jason Derulo. Jason yeah. Derulo. Yeah, before <laughs> Did you give me one tomorrow. Jason Derulo song. So, because I, I do, he always says Jason Derulo before he starts the songs. In my head, you should. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll play some in my oh. head. We can't for copyright oh. issues right here on the podcast. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, but we'll play it after this, and you'll be like. Oh, maybe I know that. He's got some catchy tunes. Oh, I'm sure I know it. I mean, I mean, like I said, I've seriously. He's popular yeah. with the ladies too. So, oh, you know, Jason Derulo. Maybe that's why they did. It. They're like, well, we'll have the golfers, and then maybe we'll get some of the ladies out here too for Jason Derulo. But we were looking at tickets today for it because they've been pumping these out. Hey, forty nine dollars, seventy nine dollars, three day passes. Like, get your tickets now. On StubHub today, they're seven dollars <laughs> for a three day pass. Three day pass is seven dollars. Like what? That's less than Taco Bell. Yeah, so I was going to ask you get a Big Mac with. <laughs> yeah, so there's that, and then but at the same time, on the Live Golf website, they're selling. I spent the more premium. This morning. I didn't eat breakfast this morning. They're selling the Club <laughs> Fifty Four Premium, which is, I'm going to read it like. They would probably type like elevate your entertainment by capitalizing on exclusive experiences not offered anywhere else because live golf's only one thing. Walk inside the ropes with players and caddies and watch as the winner lifts the trophy from front row seating. So how much for a two day pass do you think that is from the Live Golf website? Uh five fifty. Thirty seven hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> I'll take two. The three-day pass for that premium experience of walking inside the ropes and seeing the trophy from the front row is five grand. 
Oh. Why? Who, oh. who would do that? Why? I'd pay get five it. grand to get on that live uh, airplane. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure the party yeah, on the airplane yeah, is probably amazing. good. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I have absolutely nothing against live golf. I really don't. I, I think um, if somebody came up to me and said, Dan, would you take $5 million to go play in some tournaments? I mean, I mean how quickly could I do that, you know? Yeah. But the only thing that bothers me is that these guys, they made a decision. They were told, if you do this, this is going to happen. And they made a decision, hopefully based on that. But they later on come back and go, I didn't know that would happen. Well, they're not independent no. contractors. They're no. PGA members. Yeah. They're PGA Tour members. Sorry, not PGA members. PGA Tour members. And with that membership, that is a player-governed membership. And the players laid out these rules. It's not... You know, it's not Jay Monahan hating Greg Norman. Oh. I'm sure they don't like each other, but this is the players that are 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 putting these these bylaws in place. It's not well. It's not the tour. They're less of an independent contractor now, being on the Live Tour, than they were being on the PGA oh, Tour. Oh heck yeah! Oh yeah! I mean, they've signed a contract. They are. Oh, yeah. They are employed, locked right in now. certain well, events. Yeah. PGA Tour, you're a member, but it doesn't. I mean, you're not locked in anything. You can go do what you want. I mean, you, as you saw, some of these guys left and went to live. And I got more power to them. I, great for them. You know, I mean, some of these guys, they're better amateurs that are like, here, here's, here's so many million to come play when you have no guarantee that you're going to be on the PGA Tour. Take it in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless you're billionaire to begin with and don't care dude what happens to the first guy that defects i've been wondering this does he like does somebody come after him in the dark of night or <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, you Ser- broke your contract sergio's, yeah. sergio's like really close saying like oh, screw this this is like yeah and sergio's that guy you know that kind of yeah. guy i don't want to mention it when somebody defects from this thing well, and like, how long are these contracts too? I mean, it just they're depends. Like two, three, four years. So I've seen. I think they're gonna have to play out their contract, and then they can be like, "That was a mistake. I did what I felt I needed to do." And again, I don't have a problem with it. I haven't been interested in it. I logged on to stream, you know, the first tournament. I watched a little bit, and like you said, it's golf at golf. You know, whatever guys playing golf, hopefully at a high level. But everyone throws out exhibition. I just I don't buy into the fanfare of it. It's not exciting for me. I, 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 it, why not if I should it's say It's exciting this. when you, I mean, you have some of the better players. Yeah, like they've the gotten last, more. The last playoff was pretty damn good. You're telling me it wasn't good? I didn't watch it. So I, the, I haven't. I haven't seen like, it. Like literally, it, it like, it was like wildfire. Like, oh my gosh, you got to see this playoff type of thing. Like, you know, pop up on Twitter or whatever. So I, I tuned in and I'm sure I tuned in and a lot of people tuned in. Yeah. Still undeniably if you have Dustin Johnson playing at a very high level, if you have Lahiri who's the top fifty player in the world playing at a high level, and then was, when I got Cam, Cam Smith. Was Cam Smith in that playoff? He's in this too? one. Well I'm saying he's in this uh, yeah, now Cam, he's in this Cam event. Smith was one shot out of the playoff. Yeah. For, for I have no event. idea. It was like it's it's hard not to want to watch the best golfers in the world. Like yeah. I'm I'm super I'm not super against it. I'm I'm becoming more against it the more I'm I'm being educated on it just because this isn't an organic tour. There wasn't a need for it, right? This wasn't an organic tour. There wasn't a need for it in, in C or three. 
these players are being taken from another tour. This isn't something where, you know, these these players collectively got together and, and said, you know what, we need to have another branch of the PGA Tour. Guess what? They already did that, and it's called the World Golf Championships. And that's what the PGA Tour did initially was, if you want the best players in the world, fine. You have to be top 100 in the world to play in these World Golf Championships. you got to be top 30 in the world to play in these World Golf Championships, whatever it is. They did that. So they created essentially what Norman wanted to create back in the 90s. Right. And then Norman got all you know upset and, and kept pursuing and kept pursuing and kept pursuing until he didn't care where the money was coming from and just went for it. Yeah. I don't know. I I just I think from a, we we talked about it before from an organic standpoint it's just like I I hate the fact that the best players aren't playing every week together. That's it. That's I think why I don't have that interest. I'll drive up to Wisconsin for the majors and everything like that and local if there's majors. This is really close and it's just it's not the same. Like, it doesn't feel the same. But what's weird is there are only a couple players from literally having every stud that you want. Totally. They've they've totally is, increased the stock of the field. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're a Justin Thomas away from that being the primary watch. You're a Rory McIlroy from that being the primary watch. You're a John Rahm from that being the primary watch. It's only a couple players. Yeah, you've... Yeah. You've... You know... In the, Essence, you've watered down a little bit both tours. Yeah, and, and you have. Yeah. And, and But I will say, I've always said this before, there's a 1,000 guys that can play on the PGA Tour. Oh, and yeah. you get guys like Cam Young, who is going to be number one in the world here in the next couple of years, and no one heard of him three years ago. Right. You know, Not that he needed an opportunity, but there's going to be guys like that that catch wildfire, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and it can happen. I will say, as we wrap this up, the Live Golf Tour has given guys like Dan Phillips – more of a chance as well because they brought in some of those guys towards the end of their golf careers. <laughs> they're paying them millions. Oh, you're right. You're they're right. paying them millions, right? Okay. And they can appear in these events. I mean, gosh, I mean, if I was on tour, you're 50 years old, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know, you were definitely on the tail end of this. You're, but here's here's 50 yeah, no one's putting to go shade play. on Lee Westwood yeah. right now. <laughs> no. Oh, he's been in some yeah. Twitter fights this week too. Oh, he's he's just sit out of them because no one's putting shade on the fact that Lee Westwood took 50 million. Oh, he's getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. That's, no, I'm not going to knock him for it. No, I again, I would, you know, I it'd be hard for me not to take the money. I'll tell you that. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Well, Dan, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you. This, this is, is now fun. our longest podcast. Uh-oh. Oh, was it really? Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, people are bored to death. We, if you stayed this long, God bless you. <laughs> why don't we you. do this? Why don't we, why don't we cut the stuff out about your golf game, and then we'll tighten it up, and it'll kind of be in line with all the other podcasts. That was about 30 seconds, Andy. That seemed like a long time. That's about all my seemed, golf game is worth it, talking about. It seemed like longer than that. <laughs> so, so this is basically a road trip from, like, here to Canada or something like that? Is Yeah. It'll almost make it? We're getting those. car. Those trips to the lake and back for people, uh, they can listen to our whole podcast now. I think we should maybe advertise one of these podcasts, come up like a full nerd out session, get John back in here. And oh we were gosh. nerding out on Dan. We are nerding out on John. We should, we should just fully nerd out. And then you can say, hi, welcome to our podcast, and then just then just close <laughs> it out. Like I could just leave. Later. Yeah, you, you can leave. text me and say we're about done. Lunch. Yeah, we're, we're wrapping this thing up. There's not a need for Ben Hutchison <laughs> at this point. 
No, it was awesome. I love talking about Jim. I always love hearing those stories because I feel like every time you guys tell stories, a new one comes up and a new quirk to like the way he reacted to something. So I appreciate that. The the three of us would not be sitting here doing this without Jim. Yeah. If that says anything about it. Yeah. And that's what, and we're having a blast. I have a blast doing stuff like this. And I mean, you talk golf, do that forever, but thank you, Jim, because I wouldn't be here doing it without you. Thank you, Jim. Let's leave it at that, and we'll see all of you next time. Get in the cart. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast.